0: and many more. We add new items to the site every week and post sales and auctions on our Instagram at Cult Collectibles. So visit us on the web at Cultcollectibles.org today. Hi,
1: this is Jonathan Doe and you're listening to Sick on Cinema.
0: In a minute so just to kind of refresh everybody talk a little bit about cult collectibles how it got started
1: what you're into things of that nature yeah for sure so it has been a while i've done a lot since that at the time it was more of like hey here's this weird hobby i'm kind of doing and now it's like a full-on career of sorts um so i run cultcollectibles.org. we deal in true crime and cult memorabilia artifacts artwork letters uh documents you know items from tons of notorious true crime cases uh dabble a bit into oddities and horror as well but mostly it's in line with the cults and true crime um and at the time it was like kind of like my collection slash hobby i made a site to sort of network and meet people and then through that networking i've met a ton of people in that community and in the horror community just adjacently and, yeah, now I kind of have a little horror flair to it as well. But, uh, like I said, it started out mostly just kind of trading some stuff and selling some items. And now it's a full, you know, kind of business where I'm procuring large collections. I work with uh, museums. I, do- I publish um, books of rare documents and collections of letters that haven't been out before. I've worked with documentaries. I've done traveling for work now. Um, kind of just blew up into this thing that... Uh, is sort of just kind of hanging by a thread like i'm just making it up every single day as i go but uh you know i kind of like the thrill and the gabble of it all oh yeah and like
2: i've also like seen as of recently you've been publishing books too like which which i think are like transcripts of uh crime cases right
1: yeah well <clears throat> so the, uh nico clo from uh Run Serial Pleasures. who's a little kind of well known in the horror and the true crime community. Uh, he publishes books through his site, and um, I had some ideas like, "Hey, I've got you know all these things that I've been saving for years, all these scans and all these documents, and maybe we could put them together into a book or something." Because a lot of those original uh, uh, items are you know fairly expensive. There's only one copy of them, or they're you know they haven't been seen publicly before. Um, So I think we have about five books out now. The most recent one uh, is the Bundy Autopsy Reports. It's a collection I bought all at once and then sold all at once as well to a different client. But basically Ted Bundy was writing to a coroner, kind of asking him, hey, can you look over these autopsy reports and let me know if there's conflicting information with these other reports? He was trying to um, sort of advocate for himself, defend himself and ask this guy for help on it. Uh, So that came in as like a full collection of the letters back and forth. Uh, And I thought, you know, it's too cool to not just have one person have this in their private collection forever. I should archive this and back it up. Um, I have another Bundy book that's uh, correspondence between him and uh, Sam Wilson, who was a guy who was interested in researching him and working on a book that he never ended up getting published. Uh, He also writes to Anne Rule who knew Ted Bundy and she speaks on him kind of back and forth. Uh, some of them are collections of letters. There's, um, you know, one out so far that's a collection of letters that were written to Dahmer in prison uh, that he received from tons of fans and people wanting to talk to him. Um, and it's, it's more of like a smaller side project, the book stuff, but it's, uh, you know, it's bringing kind of new materials out there that no one's really seen before, and then. Some of these collections, you know, i spending a lot of money to acquire these things. Uh, it makes it a lot more accessible for people to not, you know, than not having to spend maybe ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars for this collection of rare documents that was extremely pricey. You know, they can still get that uh, reasonably.
2: Right. and yeah, I think it's really cool that you're uh, you're doing that too, because like, as you said, like, all getting access to all those documents like of course in some like some cases it's like some of the, some of the original documents are held pretty tightly and they go for a crazy process as you mentioned so to you know give essentially give the public access
1: to that stuff is really really cool yeah i i mean thank you i appreciate that i like to kind of think i'm archiving and making a bit of a impact you know and as well as that you know a lot of the stuff that i kind of buy and sell is very expensive to even acquire. And I sort of had to, the books help sometimes um, reduce that cost a little bit or take some of that price off. They don't make a ton from them or anything, but the collection costs so much and only sells for so much, then any kind of little thing helps. And that'll help me be able to buy more collections or buy larger collections. And then, um, you know, publish those and get those out to the public. Well, speaking of collections, like, since the last time we talked with
2: you, um, you acquired a massive massive Dahmer collection like including like glasses he wore you know in like many of the interviews people would see you know after he was arrested uh, you know a lot of the documents that came with you know his his story and all kinds of stuff so if if you can get into it if not that's totally fine of course like ha- what was the process of getting to that point? with the Dahmer
1: stuff yeah um I didn't realize it was that uh that it was before we had talked I might have had it at that point and it wasn't public yet um I had that stuff for like a long 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 time before I did anything with it because I was sort of working on a private deal that the buyer totally he wanted to have um um what's the word he wanted to have kind of the first grab at it he wanted to have the first things and say kind of a big part of it for him was like once he bought it he was like yeah i'm the guy who had this first i'm the guy who found it and then he just sort of trailed off and didn't follow up um so it was held and and also it was a ton of stuff to deal with and to, to figure out but um you know, essentially, I, I told the story a few times, but essentially there was a flood uh, in a basement that had that stuff in it, and it got moved to a different garage, and then it was asked to be thrown out, and when the people said they were going to get, it was going to, sorry, when it was going to get thrown out, the people that were it were like, well, can we have it or do something with it? And the person who it came to them from, I was like, I don't care, take it for sure, you know, do whatever you want, sign some paperwork, just gave it away, didn't care for it, just didn't care to have it. So it came through me to kind of manage the collection, and now I've, um, you know, worked. Like I said, there's some books out with some content from there. I've worked with some documentaries. Uh, there's a bit more stuff from that collection coming out in the future. Nothing super crazy, but um, yeah, that's been. Uh, I wouldn't say a big part of bigger part of my business, but a bigger part of my time has been dealing in those things uh, for the past few years um, you know, the kind of the call collectibles itself is sort of its own thing. And this is like a side project, a little, uh, sort of consignment deal. Um, it takes up quite a bit of time, you know, and a lot of people are very interested in it, Dahmer, obviously there wasn't really much on the market. Well, I shouldn't say, obviously there wasn't a lot of the stuff on the market for Jeffrey Dahmer, because he was only in prison for a couple of years before he was killed. And that would have been the only time he could write people <clears throat> so from there going out, there wasn't much stuff, but then, you know, once you get these, these, uh, personal items from him, it's the first time that's really been on the market. So, yeah, that's been a big part of, um, uh, my time the past few years. Um, but it's been cool to be able to sort of archive some, you know, never before seen things and bring some things to the public eye digitize a lot of media that no one had ever seen before. Um, yeah, yeah, it's been a lot of work, but definitely worthwhile. Absolutely,
0: and I know, like through the Dahmer collection, if and I could be mistaken, so correct me if I'm wrong here, but you got to like interact with some pretty cool bands and like show them some of that stuff. Like, was it the Sangui Sugabog you yeah. Uh, yeah. took the glasses to? And I'm a huge Sangui Sugabog, so kind of talk about that a little bit
1: and how that experience yeah, yeah, was. Yeah. Okay, well, so that that was kind of like me trying to bullshit my way into getting uh having my personal time count as work time you know so i was like well i want to go to these shows and do this stuff but i'm i'm very like i'm the only person who like the only i guess employee of call collectibles i do everything uh and it's really busy and i'm kind of always had to be working and i was like well if i can figure out a way to to like somehow to to connect um the job with going to shows or doing stuff I want to do, I could do, do it as some kind of promo thing. That would be um, you know, ideal because I would feel less guilty kind of taking time away from work, right? So um, whenever bands were coming through that I was interested in seeing, I would always contact uh, them online, say, hey, this is who I am and what I do. I'm in Vancouver, I have all this wild stuff. Like, <clears throat> I thought maybe you guys would be interested. And um, quite a few people have gotten back to me over the past year with, for things that I've been going to. Um, yeah, the, maybe the coolest one was Sega Sokogog when they wore Dahmer's glasses on stage for a song. Um, uh, I, I kind of basically would bring a little merch packs for everybody and bands uh, with a bunch of stuff from the site and give those to like any bands that were interested and then sometimes I would bring a few heavier items. Um, the first show was, um, was Carcass and Municipal Waste, and I ended up hanging out with Municipal Waste for a bit, showing them some stuff. And then the Senga Sookabog show, um, and then Jonathan Doe was in town, uh, working with me here, and we went and saw cattle decapitation and 200 stab wounds, and met up with 200 stab wounds and gave them some stuff. Um... Recently, Devil Master. I saw them and and tried to link up with them. I didn't have a chance, but then got in touch and mailed them some stuff after the show. So it's sort of like a little promo thing, but it's sort it's um, you know fun for me to kind of uh, one of my only real hobbies is going to like death metal shows to kind of bring that into work as well. And then, like I said, you know it gets rid of that guilt of like oh I should be working, I should be doing this. I've got you know so many things to take care of right now.
2: Oh yeah. And it also like by doing so it gets gets the name out there more too. So it's like, you know, you know, by showing you know, showing Sigobog, you know, the Dahmer glasses and stuff like that, it's like, oh, you know, of course they're they're gonna post about it and be like, Oh, look what you know, Cole Collectibles brought, you know. And that's you know, it, it gets the name out there more into people's attention so they go and follow you and then hopefully uh buy some
1: stuff from you. For sure, yeah. It's all it's all networking. Like I've had some bands who were like, "Oh, can you help us find this kind of image, or we're looking for this thing uh, for a project or whatever." Um, uh, just like chumming it up too is always great, meeting new pals. But uh, I've had that happen. You know, I went into a uh, Instagram live the other day of Mayvizzle, who put out like a uh, this album, American Pickerist. It's like a Gorgon Gorgon's trap album, almost. <laughs> and I went to his live, and I was like, "Oh, I love your album!" And he's like, "Oh, I know you. I know you through Putrid Stew," and uh had all these connections. And then I went on a few podcasts with him, and it's just like, you know, the the world of true crime stuff, and especially when it comes to collecting the stuff, is pretty niche, and there isn't much. I don't really do much advertising or promotion, but the two things I do dip into are obviously the horror community and uh, kind of the death metal community a bit. Cause there is some crossover, even if it's just like superficial, like, Oh, this isn't for us but we think it's kind of cool. <clears throat> I think it's a neat way to network and, uh, you know, get people to see the site that uh, at the very least wouldn't be, you know, offended by it. Right. And another thing that, like speaking of like networking
2: and stuff like that, uh, You've been in contact with some YouTubers too, through uh, um, pretty sure it was so often, awesome you know, Jonathan Doe, of course, you know, have, you know, having, having you involved with other YouTubers as well. But like, Phase FaZe Rug was one of them that uh, I
1: don't think anyone really <laughs> saw coming. No, no, that Just was again. <laughs> Okay, well, so, like, so basically, um, sorry to cut you off, but that, yeah, no, that was ridiculous. So uh, I had been to California for work um year and a half two years ago and done a couple of videos with Jake Weber he um, I got in touch with him years ago and sent him like a mystery box of free stuff i said you know do what you want with it he ended up doing a video that went over really well <clears throat> and um, somebody else had sent him a kind of true crime mystery box and so i wasn't i didn't think of the idea or anything but i was like oh well, i'll you know promote my site a bit that went really well and then he did a few more like that bought some things for me and then i uh, went down to do some videos with him um while i was down there stayed with jonathan doe uh we also made a bunch of content and you know that was kind of my first foray into kind of doing some youtube collaboration stuff really um not really knowing if it would <clears throat> have an impact or do anything for promotion but just you know it was interesting to get there um and then earlier this year I got a message from Phase Rug on Instagram and I didn't really know uh I knew Phase Clown but I didn't really know him personally hmm. but looked at it and I was like this is strange is this some kind of weird fishing thing and then his manager got in touch and was like yeah you know we want to we're doing this kind of video for Halloween you want to get Jake involved too uh looking at some true crime items can we fly you down for this like next week and i was like yeah i think that should be fine like i'd probably do that i didn't hear back for days and days and days um and then i got in touch with john and i was like if i come down let's do some stuff you know let's hang out uh and we um they ended up contacting me like the day before and they were like hey can you come the day of sorry was like noon and they were like hey can you fly down at 7 p.m tonight and I was like but yeah well I guess so sure because my schedule is kind of flexible and I live close to the airport you know and it's only a two three hour flight so I went down there and that was a pretty wild experience because he's obviously a big kind of a big shot guy with YouTube stuff nicest dude in the world everybody who works with him is super nice so he flew me down Jake Weber drove down and then they did a video together where I basically brought kind of some higher end stuff and had them uh i I was kind of behind the scenes i brought things for them to show off and jake had some of his stuff and then i did some sort of like um you know um i guess consulting work so to say on on how to phrase certain things to be you know a bit youtube friendly or the history and the details of stuff so they would get all the historical stuff accurate um yeah it was really cool it was like a uh uh, very like it took care of us very well it was very enjoyable time <clears throat> one of those things too where the video did great but i don't really know how that correlates to my site but for for whatever reason in my head you know even doing podcasts like this or any kind of thing i just do it and assume you know maybe it, it, i count it as as like a credit it as work time mm-hmm. even though it's not necessarily uh maybe it's not hitting the right people or maybe it's not going to have any impact but it's still like fun, interesting stuff that I consider work and then go to bed at night feeling like I did a good day's work. Right. So (laughs) yeah, who knows if that really really does much of an impact, but it's interesting and it's, um, yeah, it's a lot of fun.
0: When you, are sorry, Uh, no, you're good. When you're taking an item like to like for a YouTuber to check out or one of the bands to check out or something like that. And it's something pretty rare. Is there ever like some nerves like, Oh God, please don't fuck this up.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm, for whatever reason, I'm very, um, not like an overly confident person, but I'm not, <clears throat> I don't get anxiety in that way where I'm like worried about that sort of thing, you know? Um, yeah, I can't, there hasn't really been much where I've been too stressed about it, you know? And I went to, uh, I've done a few trips for work this year and all of it was like kind of figuring it out at the last minute and just like, okay, I guess we're going to meet these people and do this and see what happens. And, Uh, i I tend to i think it goes better because i just kind of lay back and you know let it take its course and not worry too much
0: yeah not like hovering over top of them and like (laughs) (laughs) yeah
1: exactly yeah it's just like you know you guys do your thing and i'll hop out with whatever you want yeah um
0: it's,
2: it's very interesting like like you're talking about like you don't know how it correlates with your side like i definitely think there are people who, like, you know, watch Jake's video or, you know, see, you know, Phase Rugs video or whatnot, and they're like, oh, you know, this is really interesting. Maybe I should, you know, go check this side out and see, you know, um, see, see what, you know, is available. And then they see, like, the wide, like, gambit of stuff that you have and are like, oh, shit, you know. That's really fucking cool. I don't, Like, it, it probably at least brings numbers up. I just so
1: Yeah, and, and that's the thing. I don't do any real I don't do any advertising. I don't pay, I don't think I even can to be honest. Like I don't think they would let me on most platforms, but I don't do any advertising because it's just such a niche thing, if somebody's looking for this, they're gonna look <laughs> seek it out. But there are, you know, I think this is kind of the the people that I tend to network with there seems to be like a little bit of a crossover where people who might not have known about it but still might have an interest are going to learn about it for the first time, right? Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, and um, like I've noticed like Murderbilia in itself has become almost uh, like, it, it's almost like it, it's kind of hit a like peak in popularity to an extent as of recent because of like, Kim like a soft white underbelly bringing people on for interviews and stuff like that and being like, oh, you know, i collect murderabilia, or i sell it and you know you, you see you know content like that in like podcasts talking about it I'm, I'm sure that also has brought some attention to sites like you know to your site and sites
1: like yours yeah i mean i don't think it's necessarily um because I'm doing anything special, I think it's just coincidental because there's only a handful of people that have sites for this and (laughs) do this, uh, you know, full-time or majority of their time. Um, But, and I mean, I'm not like, I'm very comfortable with how things are now. I, you know, I don't want to necessarily be like this big, huge thing or crazy, you know, have this vast success. I just want to be able to like, you know, sustain, pay my bills. And then all the money goes back into the business about finding new things. Right. And then, Mm -hmm. You know, ideally, long term, I'll just have, you know, kind of archived a lot of stuff that people wouldn't have seen. And it just goes smoothly as a profession. So I don't necessarily think that it's a hobby where uh, I I think there's, you know, theoretically more negative than positive to kind of try to promote it much as like, oh, get into this thing. Because a lot of people uh, don't necessarily feel comfortable with it and stuff. Right, a lot of it just adds a little more controversy and and you know negative press, which is not necessarily good. But um, no, you know it is what it is. Like uh, it, it, I, I get contacted by people all the time who are like, "Hey, I'm collecting my first thing. What should I get?" Or I'm getting a few first pieces, or I'm into this case. Do you have anything? i never bought anything before. Um, so I think the kind of influx of people interested in this hobby is always like a nice steady. Comfortable thing, but I don't think it's ever going to break through in any way, you know.
2: Yeah, and like you, you talking about the, like the controversy of murderabilia and stuff like that. I, I do think like the way you present it is in a much more like respectful way that makes sense than like some some other people in the community have. Um, where it's like, oh, this item is you know belongs to you know this you know case in particular. And it's, it's not like you're like, oh, you know, isn't this, like, fucking, you know, hardcore, you know, or something like that. It's more like, you know, you present it in a very factual and very almost respectful manner. I don't know. Maybe maybe it's just me, like, reading too much into it. I don't know.
1: <laughs> well, I appreciate that. I mean, that's, that's what I try and do. Like I, I said before... Uh, quite a few times that I'm not trying to like advocate for it as a hobby or say, Oh, I should be able to do this and you shouldn't be able to tell me what to do or anything. Like it's, if somebody has an issue with, with it in any way, that's fine. It's, you know, people's personal set of morals and personal judgments and stuff. I don't have a problem with that. I'm not going to try and convince somebody, Oh, I should be able to do this or, well, this is why it's okay. You know, if it's not for them, it's not for them. Um, I think just, one of the reasons why things have kind of gone smooth for me is just not, you know, getting into conflicts with people. There are people that don't agree with it, and that's fine. I just like, oh, I'm sorry that that's how you feel. This isn't for you then. And, I, you know, I'm not promoting to you in any way. I'm just, you know, staying in this little bubble over here. Um, yeah, I mean, whatever anyone else wants to do it, I'm not judging anybody else for their um tactics or anything or or how they think about it or act about it you know everyone can do whatever they want to i'm just trying to be like quiet and keep my head down you know and uh Mm -hmm. sort of just um you know all the some criticisms i've gotten a big one was always like you know you're making money out this you're glorifying this thing or whatever making this money that should be going to other places and i can see where people are coming from but you know There's there's TV shows and movies coming out that are multi million dollar budgets where actors are getting paid millions of dollars and they're making tons of money and ad money that money is not going anywhere, except for to those actors and producers. You know they're making 50 times what i'll make in my lifetime on that one project and it's retelling the same story, whereas quite a bit of the stuff that I've dealt in now is, you know, putting out new information, new books, working with documentaries on new things that have never before been seen that are going to help, you know, theoretically with um, criminology in some way, you know, like it's just new documents, new information, things that can be used for education as opposed to the same stuff over and over again. And I don't necessarily have a problem with the same stuff over and over again, but my kind of moral compass, like I feel better knowing that I have, you Know at this point, I'm operating at a level where I am quite often bringing new things out there, and I'm glad to be, uh, uh you know, lets me rest easy,
0: yeah. And it's interesting too because it's like I feel like. Eesh every kind of fandom has layers. Cause like, for instance, like let's take horror. For instance, there's people who hate horror movies, can't stand them. There's people who like horror movies, but just watch the mainstream stuff. And then you got people like us who kind of delve more into the underground, you know, true crime's the same way. You got people who hate it. Don't like it. Don't think it should be around people who like watching documentaries. And then you got people who like to collect, you know, I I don't know. I just don't feel like there's any difference between that and like collecting oddities and things of that nature.
1: So I don't know. Maybe that's just me, but (laughs) Yeah, it just it, that's the thing is one person might be <clears throat> okay with, you know, collecting true crime stuff, but not with, you know, human skulls, or one person might be okay with skulls, but not with cults and one person and it's, it's based on your own history with those things and your own thoughts and your own feelings towards it. And that's, everyone's entitled to that. So it's fine, you know, people should be able to do what they want. And if you're upset about it, you should also be able to say something about it, too. But it's just, I personally, it's just what, you know, it is what it is. Let yeah people be them do what they want to do
2: yeah exactly and, and another thing too is like i know when it comes to like oddity collecting there's always this worry that some people have with you know whether something was ethically you know gotten and i do not see any like sort of like thing of like ethics with especially with what you you're able to obtain like especially like like human skulls. like there was a whole story that happened like not too long ago where this woman got in trouble for you know having like human remains and stuff like that. and it was like sourced from like not so ethical you uh-huh. know places. And all all the stuff you get is ethically sourced. Like you get it from like, you know the families of the people. you get it from other collectors. Who got got it from you know this person or that person? Mm-hmm. So like, I feel like the rule, you know, the the whole thing with like the ethics of you know murderabilia, it's all in the eye of the beholder.
1: Yeah, it's and... all it's all subjective, you know. Like a, a majority of the stuff that I deal in now is um, lar- either larger collections or higher value items. You know, I usually don't pick up a handful of you know ten or fifteen smaller letters. Um, the Bundy book, the Autopsy Report book, for instance, that was somebody, you know, who was like, hey, I, um, I, uh, this person is a relative, a lot of his relatives or friends or whatever. This person's a relative and they had this stuff for years and, and they passed away. And now I'm selling it because um, it's, you know, it's just, it's just taking a space here or whatever. And then they're able to get some good money out of that. Um and then I'm able to, you know, archive this stuff that would have sat in the closet for the next 200 years, nobody would have ever seen, right? Um, mm. But I mean, it's all subjective. Everything is subjective with it. Um, like I said, the, all I try and do is just like not, not bring this to people who wouldn't be interested in it or who would be upset by it. I'm just trying, you know, not damage control, but just I try and be polite about it and just uh, stay in my lane.
2: Right. And I think it's very admirable, too, where it's like, you know, I do my thing. If you don't like it, then, you know, you don't have to look at it.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, half the movies I watch and half the media I'm into is not for everybody. And <clears throat> I get that. I'm not going to go to my mom's house and be like, oh, we should uh, let's watch this, uh, you know, movie where two girls sew their arms together. And, and <laughs> like, uh, there's just things that aren't for everybody and that's that's it my mom you know not my mom necessarily but i have family members and friends who are like i feel weird about this or it's not my thing but you know what you're doing with it i can see that there's something positive to that so that's good for you i guess yeah absolutely
0: So uh, one of the things I wanted to bring up that I saw you do, I'm pretty sure this is sold out now, but as someone who is a former skateboarder and still obsessed with skateboarding and skateboard mm-hmm. culture, the Heaven's Gate skateboards, how <laughs> did that come about? And were you at one point not going to try to make like a video out of it?
1: Yeah, that's um, that's uh, so basically I met through some people a guy who was. Starting up a business, and he's like, Yeah, I'm doing these custom skate uh, shaped skateboard decks in like any design or whatever. And people can like print their own designs, or I'm gonna have pretty ones done. It's called Skate Shapes with a Z, the uh, company. And I was like, Oh, it's really, I met this person right when they were moving um, to California to get a larger space and start doing the production larger scale. And I was like, that's really sick. I want to do something for that. Like w- when it comes to, I don't know if this is universal with everybody, small business or everything, but anytime I ever do any kind of merch or anything, I never make any money. It just kind of I've, occasionally I'll break even, but usually half of it gets given away as promo stuff. But I just like to like, you know, get shirts printed or make stickers or, or create things. Right. Um. <clears throat> so, so I don't do too much merch stuff. But these were like this was like a limited run. It was ten of the decks, um, <clears throat> and it basically was like yeah, a custom skate deck. It's purple on the top, and the bottom is one of the Heaven's Gate bodies under the shroud. But um, they're all custom, kind of formed or custom cut out. So it's got you know the shoes extending and the cloth extending, uh, or the shroud, sorry, um, and the old call collectibles logo. And um, yeah, I was like, oh, this is just like a, I think a neat idea. <laughs> a little promo thing. So I I have one or two left, um, actually, but there weren't very many of them. And obviously skateboards, you know, shipping from Canada to the States or shipping for Canada anywhere for that matter is expensive. And shipping a skateboard is very expensive. So it wasn't like big uh, profit thing, but it was fun. Um, I'd like to do something like that again in the future, but you know, I don't have a specific idea in mind. I mean, I have ideas, but they're just so niche that it would be like, oh, I like this. And one of the guys going to get it, or one of the persons going to think it's interesting, you know. But I think that one was a little universal. It's a bit of an iconic um, image, you know. Yeah,
2: and like I, I remember when that drop, and I was like, that is so fucking wild. I was like, <laughs> like I would, the, um... I wouldn't have even like remotely thought of doing that, that yeah i so it, it, it just
1: had like a, a dumb thought and it like came to fruition and it was i'm glad i followed through with it the video thing you mentioned too so originally what i was going to do was this like pretty and i'm not pretty high budget but i was going to put some real money into it it was going to be a, a an ad for the decks to sell them uh but then once i got the decks it was like okay this is going to take months to finish i want to i want to sell them now because people are asking me so i ended up selling them and then Put out a part of the video later. Um, I had uh, my cousin dressed up in a Heaven's Gate uniform, and he was like on the on a computer, and um, got this like alert for the comet brings closure to hail or comet hail bop brings closure to Heaven's Gate, and then he was going to skate off, and then it was going to cut into like a skate video, like fisheye lens on like a grainy kind of nineties camera, very like kind of like like early two thousands skate video kind of aesthetic um but yeah i never got to the skate video part because i was you know i had to hire somebody for that and then it was like they had to fit this uniform and these shoes exactly and there were just a lot of like it would have taken a long time and a lot of money for kind of a little joke that wouldn't um necessarily be anything more than just like a fun thing right so i put out the little intro thing on youtube a while ago uh but um yeah it uh it was a fun concept the, in- the little video thing was fun uh, it just didn't get brought to completion yeah and
2: again that, that stuff happens where it's like it's like of course you know there's time constraints there's uh there's just stuff that's just like yeah that's not gonna work and it, with what you did that he came out very very
0: well so yeah well, no i you. just i did want to see how they skated up. i was curious about that <laughs> as we live, in the, era, of... yeah,
1: we live in the era yeah we live in the era a- of shapes <laughs> yeah that was the thing too is that it was also going to be somebody skateboarding with a with a essentially a bag over their head um <laughs> and i was just like uh, i got you know i don't know the processes of hiring somebody in insurance or anything if something gets fucked up if I make somebody skateboard blind. Uh, but, <laughs> yeah. You, you know, it, it, it was like there were a lot of like <laughs> bad ideas involved, <laughs> but it was still fun to do the little like short video thing.
2: Uh, like so speaking of like you're talking about shipping from Canada. Yeah. To, you know, the States or wherever. Like, are there ever any like worries about getting, you know, certain things in to you know, put on the side and stuff like that because of you know Canadian law, because I know like with interdepravity that and you know August underground, all those things got blocked. So how does you know real stuff like that deal with you know border wise? Is there any concern?
1: You know, you know what's been what has been taken from me from customs at the border? uh movies from jonathan doe and that's it (laughs) weirdly enough um one or two packages from him had some things taken out of them some dvds and then they would leave a note saying it was like obscene content um and uh i guess they just look at the cover and are like oh this sounds bad or whatever um you know when it comes to like horror movies in general it's not i think there's a little more of a reputation of that than there actually is here um you know i know there's like a lot of people who deal in oddities and bones and they ship from and or to canada all the time and it's not an issue uh a few years ago there was a human brain that was stopped at customs and it was like a big like news story a big kerfuffle because i think that's a bit shocking to sort of <clears throat> mainstream society but i don't think that there was any like legal issue it was a medical specimen or whatever um yeah. I mean, what I deal in, is isn't really an issue at all. I don't worry about it too much. I'd never had anything to do with true crime stopped or any issues. I'm obviously not selling like weapons or anything or dealing yeah. with anything like that. Um, when it comes to like human remains, I've had a couple of medical skulls. I've had three of them that were all purchased, um, locally that were <clears throat> museum pieces. Um, sorry, university pieces. <clears throat> from in Canada that had been uh, when universities upgrade their stuff to get rid of the older stuff. So I had three skulls, two of them that I sold locally, one of them that I sold within Canada. So that wasn't an issue. Um, I don't really deal in that much because it's, you know, it's very competitive, that kind of world. There's a lot, there's a, a lot more of a market for, and a lot more people working in the field of, of oddities and bones and everything than what I'm doing. So it's, it's, you know, taking it on. It's like, if it, great opportunity comes up, you know, it might be interested, but for the most part, yeah, I, you know, I don't worry with my stuff when it comes to, like, obscenity laws. Um, what, well, you know, like, you know, for instance, the August Underground thing when Fred Vogel tried to get up here for a convention and had his stuff taken away. I mean, that I think it was 50% that he was trying, you know, bringing stuff to Canada to sell to make money, right? Like, it was working up here without a work visa for that. Um, I think if you just had some you know, DVDs, they wouldn't take them away necessarily, but he was going to a convention to promote them. Um, that might have added to it. They're pretty strict on work stuff when it comes to leaving Canada or going to Canada for that matter. Mm-hmm. Um, I had somebody come up here for a YouTube thing once and they got detained at the airport for like an hour because they said they were doing some videos for YouTube when they were here and that like flags the government as like, oh, they're working, they make money off of YouTube, they need to pay tax on this, so we need to stop them and uh, you know it, it's just a kind of a financial thing more than anything
2: it's wild it's so funny like they pulled like <laughs> the jonathan doe stuff but like they see like a skull and they're like oh okay that's fine <laughs> i don't know i guess my brain's just like i don't know it's just that doesn't really make sense but at the same time it's like owning a skull or something in tennessee is technically illegal you cannot own a skull yeah. or <clears throat> It can be, like, took from you, potentially. Mm. And it's, like, I don't know, it's so bizarre, like, especially, like, like, when you think about, like, the states. Like, each state has their own individual rules about stuff like that, and rules in general. But it's just so funny to think about, like, in Canada, it's like, okay, this, you know, this fictional movie can't be given to this person. But, you know, this, you know, this real (laughs) thing can be.
1: Yeah. It, and I mean, it's totally up to chance too. you know, like I, I just got uh, the first two of August underground movies from unearthed, you know, just came the third one's coming this month. It's shipping right now. Um, there's no issue with those. You know, I, I order from lots of DVD sites in the States Um uh, lots of horror stuff and weird underground stuff. I've never had an issue with that, except for um, a couple of Jonathan Doe's things, which I think is just total fluke, you know? Hmm. So I have theoretically have like more offensive stuff here or more obscene stuff that I've ordered Um But it's, you know, it's subjective, you know. The Abyss is being re-released in 4K right now. There's a scene where they have this rat underwater breathing this liquid in, and it doesn't die, and it actually can't breathe it. Um, I don't know the exact details, but apparently it was, like, somewhat... It was cruel to the animal, and because of that, they're not releasing it in the UK at all because they want to have that scene in the movie. And then, um, you know, there's movies with, like... I would say heavier or stronger cases of animal abuse that get by no problem for whatever reason um you know it's just all subjective and kind of a bit of a crapshoot
0: oh yeah it's interesting uh, you brought up with uh, August Underground the fact that Fred get detained may have had something to do with him bringing the DVDs up that's honestly an angle that I've never really thought about but that's 100% could be true that it may have had more <laughs> to do with money than the actual content but it's a great story and has built up the legend of August Underground so oh, for sure yeah
1: yeah and i think i think that you know obviously it was obscene material and i think that they they flag, they did flag it for obscene material from what i understand but also i think if he you know he was coming to Canada to, like, hang out at his buddy's house and had a bunch of DVDs, as opposed to going to a convention to promote the thing, I think it's a bit of a different story, right? You never know, though.
0: Mm-hmm. That's fascinating. Um,
1: <laughs> yeah. So,
2: like, speaking of, like, like you know, collecting and stuff, uh, like, at this, at this point, with the side, are there things that you keep for your own personal collection, or are there things that... Or, or is it one of those things where you just, like, put it on the side at this point?
1: It's like, well, every time I say I'm going to keep a thing, I always end up selling it or I get a good offer or I find something cooler that I want to keep, you know, like, um, um, I was at one point keeping like one piece from every case. And then it was like, okay, I'll I'll keep one piece from every like large collection I buy as like a memory of this collection. And then it was like, okay, well, I'll, I'll, you know, just keep things that are really sentimental. Now it's at a point where I have, you know, when I'm buying inventory and stuff, I'm, uh, keeping stuff every once in a while if it's unique, but generally it's, it's, you know, freebies and gifts, um, like promo things people send me notes, people send with packages, um, stickers or little things. I'll keep like smaller things like that. Um, Anything like sentimental or some kind of significance to, um, I guess, to the business uh, more than anything else. And then there are pieces that I get where I'm like, I'm going to keep this forever or I'll display something for like, a couple of years and then be like, okay, I'll put this in a box. And then a couple of years later, I'll dig it out and then I'll sell it. Cause it's just, you know, sitting in a box somewhere. Um, but most of the stuff is like, yeah, I'd say sentimental things more than any kind of like big, crazy true crime items. And not really um, hiding anything away. That's super crazy because if I want to, you know, continue the business I've got to be able to sell things to buy more things. And then I'm always going to find something more interesting down the line. Right. So I don't get too attached mm. to a thing. As it comes in. Well,
2: I remember the last time we talked, we, I, it was just a John brought up the, uh, the idea of a grail, you know, a grail object. And at that time you said it was one of the like helmets from the Aum Shinrikyo story.
1: Yeah. And one of them went for sale since then. Yeah. Oh, really? Um, yeah. And it sold for like a stupid price and I didn't want it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Basically when I, yeah. Like grail items. You know, just the thing that I want for my personal collection, that's kind of how I look at it, right? There isn't mm-hmm. a ton of stuff. Um, but, yeah, one of those helmets I always thought would be super interesting. Now I don't really care too much. You know, it would be cool, but I'm not super, like, why well, I need to get one, right? I, and one of them went for sale. I think it sold for, like, three or $4,000. And I was like, it, you know, I know it wouldn't resell for that high if I was putting it on the site. It's just way too niche. Um, and I... Uh, yeah, I didn't pick it up, and right now, I don't think there's anything that I would really be like, well oh, I gotta get this, I had to have this, just because, Um, it, it, you know, I try and keep, I collect my actual collecting, you know, I collect movies, and I collect some movie posters, and some video game stuff, and a few things like that, and if I want to, like, put any money into those, then I had to kind of not collect too much of the stuff that could be working for my Business,
2: right? Right. Um, but when it comes to like the you know the business as a whole, like uh, it seems like it's been you know expanding quite a bit. And you know with your partnership with uh, Nico, you were able to get a uh, an exhibit in Italy. Apparently.
1: Oh uh, yeah, kind of yeah. So um... <clears throat> uh, that was basically. Nico had a relationship. I've known Nico for years and years and years. We first met because he, um, I was just following him online somewhere and he had a, a, Sagawa VHS tape that he wanted to convert. And I was like, oh, I have a setup for that. Send it to me, I'll do it, send it back. Um, so I want to see it too, you know. So we sent it over, I converted that. It was the, uh, dubbed the Sagawa Olympics now. Um, but, so we met then and then I, we've done a few little projects with each other since then some kind of collaboration things um and then he was working with these people in italy who were doing a true crime exhibition kind of like a museum that moves around um they had i believe they had one in venice the first one and then they were doing a second one in in italy because it was very successful and the idea from what i understand is as they move around they want to add new pieces to the collection and they want to bring new things in. So, um, they sort of were getting some people together that they were like, Hey, you know, we had done these other kind of exhibits. We don't really know the world of true crime that much in regards to, um, you know, where you find these things, but we want to have a good network of network of trustworthy people. So I got kind of brought into that, which is very cool to be, you know, recognized as like, Oh, this guy knows what he's doing. Um, yeah and I brought some things there um I was like well I might as well use this as an excuse to go to Italy because I'd never been so (laughs) I basically went out to Italy for a week I stayed on this um little vineyard uh in like the countryside the exhibition was happening in a castle um and I helped with a bit of a little bit of setup for that and then uh you know bringing some items there to display um yeah, and then got some time in Italy. Uh, hung up with Nico quite a bit, um, which is nice because there isn't really a lot of opportunity for me to like uh, talk shop with people, right? It's a bit of a niche mm-hmm. job. Um, we yeah, we hung around there. We went to um, Dario Argento's horror shop. Oh, oh wow! In Rome, which was super cool. It's got like a little museum in the basement with like a it's like an audio cassette tour um of like a, a bunch of different props from the movies uh and the upstairs is really cool uh, a lot of like self-published books on argento and italian horror and stuff um went to the vatican which was weird but uh <laughs> yeah it was like a really cool trip and and you know once again one of those things where it's like well it's work related but i'm also in italy for a week and with a bunch of free time so i get Might to as well. not feel guilty about you know taking a bit of a vacation right
2: Oh yeah,
0: of course. That's super sick. You got to go to uh, Profondo Rosso. I know uh, he may not been there, but I know uh, the director Luigi Cozy a lot of time curates that place. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, he wasn't there. Um, he yeah he he runs the place I think, and then he is heavily involved with a lot of the books and stuff. And um, he's the guy who did like the audio tour, voiceover recording. It was some other person working there, but still a very cool place. Um, pretty small, but it's like it's really neat. obviously it's like it's cool to see all these props from like all these like iconic argento movies just like in the basement of some little shop, you know. That's so cool. I love to see that <laughs> yeah for sure. they had the um the little kid from uh, uh what is it? Oh my God, can't I can't think of the name with Jennifer Connelly the um phenomena. Yeah,
0: phenomena. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The,
1: oh. They had the little, little mutant kid in like a corner, like set up like oh, a movie. Wow. A lot. Of, yeah, it was cool. They had some stuff from demons. They had some stuff from opera. It was very cool.
2: Of course, I have to ask: Did they have anything from the legend Bruno Matei? Um,
1: no.
2: no oh, wow.
1: Argento exclusively. Oh, okay. Well, damn. If anywhere was going to have a um, a museum for that though would have been that area of town like a very cool area we went to a graveyard too because apparently there was a huge graveyard there we were in just killing time and um, a lot of like super old ornate stuff and apparently uh, Fulci and the uh, Diodato were buried in that one or close by w- one of them at least was buried there and we were like trying to figure it out and couldn't really get the information until after we left um i found it out because that would have been you know a very once in a lifetime sort of place to visit right but mm-hmm. oh yeah
0: so um just something i'm kind of curious about like how has like if at all has running co- collectibles kind of changed your collecting habits like maybe not even necessarily true crime in general like has it at all like like have you shifted your collection or uh,
1: habits or anything like that yeah yes yeah, kind. Of, well probably a bit so <sighs> being self-employed <clears throat> like I, I was doing like real people jobs for a long long time and then being like completely self-employed is, is always a gamble it's always risky you know i don't get like vacation time i don't get sick days i don't get um guaranteed income or anything you know i don't have like medical or dental benefits i kind of have to work harder to be able to you know supplement that stuff right um mm-hmm. so whereas you know having a job i would have uh, a lot of like for, or having a regular day job right i would have a lot of um um not a lot of expendable income but when i was off work i was like oh yeah i'll spend my money on whatever i'll collect you know, I'll buy anything that I come across that I'm interested in and I'll spend money on things I don't really need a little more frivolous because it was like, or guaranteed, you know, for instance, in a month, I, I was like, Oh, I know I can spend 500 bucks on, you know, movies and games and, and dumb shit or going out. Right <clears throat> now it's like, I have no idea how much I can spend ever on anything. So I'm very, very tight about only picking up you know as opposed to like i have a 500 hundred dollar budget let's spend it all it's like if there's something i really want i'll get it but um um you know i try and only pick things up if i you know know they're going to hold some kind of value or if um i i i I tend yeah i think i tend to collect more um items that are going to hold value or items that are a little more sentimental or uh not necessarily would be like a good long-term investment but you know if like evil dead rise comes out on a steelbook blu-ray i don't necessarily need that it's not necessarily going to it's going to drop in value immediately right mm-hmm. um there's limited things and there's and, you know original posters i've been buying a lot recently um <clears throat> not a lot but a decent amount uh i'm, I'm sort of more collecting as opposed to buying a bunch of little things, I'll get like one or two cool pieces every now and then. And I cherish them a lot more um, because it's like, you know, I don't necessarily have a ton of money for that kind of stuff all the time. Uh, I try and be a little more, I guess, smart spending when it comes to collecting, you know, a little mm-hmm. less just. Uh, yeah. It, it, I put a lot more thought into it now, I guess, for, to, to summarize it all up than I would have when I was a little more, uh, when things were a little more stable. Now that things are sort of kind of, not that they're unstable, but it's so unpredictable, I'm a little more cautious about things.
0: Right. Yeah, I mean, that's not a bad way to be a collector at all anyways, because it's like, you know. As a movie collector, you know, sometimes I end up spending $30, 35 on something that's another piece of shit and <laughs> immediately yeah. regret it because, you
1: know, there's no value to it. <laughs> well, that's what I would do. Yeah, is I would be like, oh, okay, well, I have, you know, three movies from this guy. I'm going to get every single thing he's ever released and have the complete set, but half of it I never go to watch and it's not good. Or, you know, getting every game in a series and i being like, okay, hey, half of these are garbage and half of them are crazy expensive and I own it for no reason. Never gonna play it or use this for anything. I'm a little more like I'll buy a thing if I want it. If I'm going to get some kind of use out it, you know, out of it. Oh
0: yeah. Um. um. You good, Matt? You look like you malfunction. <laughs> yeah, I malfunctioned a little bit. Sorry so you talked a little bit right. about like getting getting the august underground movies in what a, yeah. you know and you're a big horror guy as well um what have you been watching what have you been up to as far as like outside of cult collectibles
1: um a bunch of stuff i've been the one thing that i do buy consistently is every single thing that comes out from visual vengeance mm-hmm. um, <laughs> literally every single thing i haven't watched half of them save that time but um la aids jabber was one of the first it felt the first thing they put out and i got it because it was just so weird and i was like this is like such a weird bad movie but it's so good and all the extra things they put into the releases i was like this is just fantastic what they're doing and it sort of was like oh now you know a companies i can get on board with somebody a label or a sub-label putting out stuff consistently and like get everything and it's not going to cost me an arm and a leg right mm-hmm. um hmm. it's actively going forward so yeah, everything from them is great. Can't recommend the quality of their stuff enough. Um, I was able to pick up a signed international release Necromantic poster recently, which was Oh my god. Yeah, which is wicked, which I it, it's got like a Japanese text on it. I think it's it, you can see it online. Um it was like a very limited international re- release thing mint condition is signed. I had actually an original poster, original American release poster um, with the John Waters quote on it, the uh, the first erotic film for necrophiles or whatever. Uh, <clears throat> I had it for years and I sold it. I regretted it so much. Uh, so I kind of got that back recently. Um, I've been watching a lot of stuff because I actually have time again, which is kind of nice, but I saw Dead Alive for the first time. I, bought, I found a copy of it in the wild at a used place, and I. it's obviously a rarer thing to find. Um, and it lived up to the hype. It's so good. It's so funny. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, really ridiculous. Uh, I was very impressed by it, because it's one of those things that I've been, you know, for 20 years been hearing about and never had a chance to see. Um, the Art of Self-Harm, obviously, that mm. has come out recently. You've talked on that. Other people have talked on it um <clears throat> that was <clears throat> first of all i watched it on an airplane on my phone <laughs> first yeah. uh, which was a little like suspect but um yeah very 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 cool because i had been very interested in white G- gardenia for quite a while and i had i had actually um bought the cutting board that was used in that scene where daniel cuts his finger off uh and he was like, oh, I have the knife, too. And Jonathan Doe was kind of like middlemaning me to get it across the border. So he got got the knife and the cutting board, kept the knife, and then I got the cutting board. Um, <clears throat> and I've got a pretty extensive collection of his, the White Gardenia releases. So it's cool to have like that piece and now have this documentary that's sort of like it's a, it's great for me as like a deep dive into the that I don't know much about, but a great introduction for people as well. Um, Oh, Godzilla minus one. Oh, uh, sure. <laughs> I wouldn't say that's horror related. But I love I love Godzilla. I've seen anytime anything comes out Godzilla related in theaters, I see it first yep. day. movie's
2: um,
1: so good too. It's yeah. so good. Mm-hmm. It's got some horror aspects to it for sure. Um, it's the most like digestible Godzilla movie, I think. The Japanese one at least. Like, I, I, I don't necessarily think it's the best because I actually just saw the first Godzilla in theaters recently in theaters for the first time which cool. is great but but you know this, a movie from 1954 isn't necessarily going to hold somebody's attention now right I could see how it wouldn't be of interest and Godzilla's like 50 feet tall he's not like this massive thing um, I think you know I think that that is you know definitively the best Godzilla movie but this is the most watchable for somebody new or, or somebody who doesn't only knows the American movies or the MonsterVerse stuff um yeah, super good. Um big fan, 10 out of 10. Uh I had something else and I lost my train of thought, but um yeah, I mean I mean that's kind of all I do is, you know, I weird movies and horror stuff, but mostly called collectibles is like 80 to 90% of my time, you know. Like I said, I, I do all the promotion, I do all the social media stuff, all the shipping, all the procurement, all procurements, all right. Um, absolutely everything uh, is just me, which I enjoy but is also a lot, right? But yeah. it does take up a majority of my time, you know? T- today I <clears throat> got up at 7, uh, packed orders, dropped off all my orders, got back, did some research stuff, now I'm doing this with you guys and then immediately after this I'm meeting up with somebody who uh, is an oddities dealer who's in town for a bit uh, to kind of like talk shop with him so we're in similar worlds, you know, mm-hmm. then I have computer stuff again. And then late tonight, I'll be able to like take a minute, an hour or two before bed to like relax. Um, but, you know, I like kind of doing that, doing, doing this sort of like weird niche job. I sort of had to grind extra hard and put a lot more energy in than when I was working in a more really kind of a nine to five situation. Right. But mm-hmm. It's a double-edged sword because it's pretty exhausting, but it's also like very rewarding at the end of the day. Yeah.
2: Um, do you ever like experience like burnout from the like true crime stuff? Like, is there ever a moment where you're, where you, you where you focus in on it so much that you're just like, I just want to take a day to, to not think about this stuff?
1: Yeah, I mean. <clears throat> the main thing that really kind of gets to me is that people will, like, whether it's people on Instagram who, <clears throat> clients or whatever, or just friends on Instagram, or people who I know in real life, um, or family members or whatever, it's like a constant persistent, like, oh, did you hear about this thing that happened with this guy or this serial killer or this case, or do you know anything about this yet? Do you have anything for this guy? have you watched this series or this podcast or this read this book or whatever that came out and like, <clears throat> uh, you know, in the same way that like a mechanic doesn't go home and watch YouTube tutorials on car repair and call his friends and talk to them about car repair and read books on, you know, read auto manuals and stuff. Like I'm not, when I'm working, I'll you know do research and, and look into things. But when I'm sort of trying to take time off the clock, I generally just stay away from my phone entirely because if anybody's sending me a meme, it's a true crime thing. If anybody's um, any any new show comes out or any new true crime news, I, five or six people will send it to me instantly. Um, and so it's nice to be up to date on everything, but also I'm not, you know, I don't listen to any true crime podcasts anymore. I don't watch any documentaries really. Um uh, I don't, I, I, I read a lot of books for research purposes, but not just for kind of casual reading anymore because it's become uh, so ingrained as like work that, um, you know, I don't really get rest if I'm not, I wouldn't like be able to like lounge on the couch and watch a true crime series and relax, you know, it would be like, okay, I'm just thinking about work stuff, right? Mm,
0: right. So a uh, question I have, that's completely off topic, but it's kind of popped in my head. Um, the last time we talked, we were talking about disturbing movies in general, and you brought up a film. It's the Gabe Bartalos movie. Was it Skin Deep? The one with... <laughs> yeah. yeah. Skin skinned Deep. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Severn put out a uncut edition of it. Have, did you get a chance to
1: check it out? Um, give me one second. I think I have it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've got a dvd copy i think it's a new release it's still sealed um <clears throat> yeah i got it on a sale um a while back i haven't watched it yet i don't even remember the origin the uncensored version of the original cut much at all you know i watched it one time when i was a kid thought it was like very unsettling um like it just bothered me and i have it now but i haven't gone back to it you know i just know when they yeah. announced that release that you you're the first person i thought about yeah i uh, was like <laughs> i got it i have it i just haven't watched it but um i'm sure it's not as weird as i remember but you know it was, it, it was my first one of the first things i ever saw that was like a low budget horror movie or like a weird i was used to like more mainstream stuff so i like, gone from like the texas chainsaw massacre remake and the ring you know a final destination to that is like a weird Lot, very jarring, you know? i yeah. enough weird stuff now that I don't think it would be an issue. Say, like, when I was a kid, I thought Baby Geniuses was a great movie. I watched that <laughs> recently, and it's awful. It's so bad. Um, it's just your perspective, you know? Yeah. I, I will
0: ex- say, like... Oh, sorry, go on. No, I was just going to say, had the exact same experience with Double Dragon
1: the movie.
0: Um, I read that movie. it
1: I, I read it so much, yeah. It does not eight,
0: hold up. It doesn't
1: hold up. <laughs> um, when I went to look for it, here's another thing. Off topic again, but when I was I peeked in the other room for that uh, Blu-ray, I just got Skin and Marink in, oh. and that is maybe the most decisive, divisive horror film of I don't know the past ten years, quite a long time. Um, so I don't know. What, I don't know if you guys saw that or what you think about that, but you know what side you fall on in that battle. Yeah, it scared the fuck out of me but yeah i really liked it actually yeah yeah good. yeah because <laughs> yeah, i i i liked it a lot I, I liked it a ton um you know when i'm watching stuff by myself and i want to be like freaked out a bit i'll always watch some grittier stuff or like found footage style it's not, not found footage but it's got a similar vibe right that kind of thing that's more like lo-fi and low production always gets me a bit more yeah, it really freaked me out. It really brought gave me that like, like exact feeling of being like alone at home as a kid at night and freaked out by stuff, mm. right? Um, but I know people who were either like terrified or thought it was just super, super boring. You know, yeah, it's weird how it, it fell into two camps, to- totally different camp, And I get both sides of it, you know. But I'm like, you know, I'm somebody who likes weird shit anyway, you know. So I like, I'll, I'll watch Wavelength, which is an hour of just a shot of a window with nothing happening. There's like weird, <laughs> weird stuff. I like I the weird of the better and that kind of fell in yeah. that perfect cat. Not only is it like a Canadian independent horror film like a $15,000 um, budget and it was like <clears throat> extremely effective, you know? Yeah, like
0: I get why people thought it was boring, but <clears> I don't <throat> know. We saw it, me and Matt saw it in theaters and it's like, I was like on edge the entire movie and yeah. I'll stand by the jump scare with the girl with no mouth in the hallway was the hardest any jump scare has gotten me in years. Like it scared the shit yeah. out of me. <laughs> it,
1: um, it felt to me like, um, um, I like an exact, uh, sorry. It felt like an exact kind of cross feel wise between, um, uh, the first paranormal activity, which I saw in theaters, which was like a whole kind of experience and a uh, ghost watch that kind of pseudo documentary. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, ghost thing, just because of the kind of the house aesthetics of that. Um, yeah, it felt like very kind of in between those for me. Um, yeah, big fan. I, I, You know, when it comes to, like, I, I'm not any kind of, like, purist with horror stuff. I'll watch anything, you know, I'll get, I'll give anything a chance. And the past, you know, I, I think I started kind of saying this when The Witch came out, uh, the, the The Witch, and then It Follows, and then <clears throat> a, lot, a lot of these things started coming out that were, like, a little weirder a little more midsummer obviously and hereditary um and it was like a second renaissance of horror movies and then it sort of split between that sort of like a little more outsider stuff and like the Bloomhouse, insidious um uh the nun annabelle that kind of like uh, uh, the, the continuation of the saw series you know there was like these big blockbuster horror movies and then this like weird kind of resurgence and now it's kind of coming together where all these like weird things are getting these massive budgets and um yeah i don't know it's a cool time it's been a cool 10 years for horror stuff for for mainstream or independent stuff obviously of course as well it's been huge but mainstream stuff has been very interesting
2: oh yeah absolutely
1: <clears throat> like like you said, like 10 years ago, a
0: movie like Skinner Marink* or even Godzilla Minus One would not have been given a wide release. So no. it's like, it's easy to like not live in the moment and realize that like there actually is a lot of really cool shit that
1: it's like getting out
0: there more now too. Yeah, for sure.
1: <clears throat> yeah. Um, you know, with things like, you know, uh Marink* got picked up by Shudder and then got a Blu-ray release through Shudder and it's like that for two more crazy audiences where it could have just been like a weird independent film at a, um, you know, film festival in Toronto. Right. Um, Godzilla minus one has done. Like last time I checked, it was like 70 million at the box office on an $18 million budget. And it keeps getting extended for different releases in North America or sorry, it keeps, I guess their, their time in theaters keeps getting extended. Um, yeah. Which is great. Cause it's a really good movie. It's got, uh, the thing too, this kind of was a nail in the coffin for the MonsterVerse stuff because I have you know I have a collection of every Godzilla film ever released, um, and some of them are pretty hard to find and rare. And it's like I'll go out on my way to get these and track them down. And then you have you know Kong Skull Island and then Godzilla twenty sixteen or twenty eighteen. Like yeah, it's okay. And then the second and third Godzilla North American movies that King of the Monsters and the uh, Godzilla and Kong are just, like, big budget Marvel visual effects showcases. You know, King Kong lives under the planet in some subterranean Earth, and there's, like, this whole Titan mythology and all these weird things they made up to make it into this superhero thing. Just so soulless compared to, like, <clears throat> you know, Shin Godzilla and Godzilla Minus One. They're, like, amazing stories, visually great. <laughs> pennies on the dollar compared to the other ones for production costs and so much better um oh yeah b- but because of that I was like, okay yeah, i'm not watching the monster verse show i don't care about the new godzilla uh godzilla and kong will be coming out it's just the franchise it's two different um it's really 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 been uh solidified now that it's two totally different franchises it's two totally different things you know
0: yeah. yeah. It's like The American studios just don't quite understand what makes Godzilla Godzilla. Because, like, Godzilla yeah, minus no. one, like, and I know Godzilla's not been, like, quote unquote, scary for a while, but in Godzilla minus one, like, there's legit scenes in that movie that are, like, like heart pounding and, like, he's oh, yeah. scary. You know, he's scary in that movie. Oh, yeah.
1: yeah. It's, it's, it's super uh, frightening, a lot of it, you know? Yeah. Um, and a lot of, and it's action packed and it's fun, you know, like it's just got everything. Um, I want to see it again, but yeah, first viewing, it was like one of the best for sure. Yeah. We haven't talked about the
0: show yet really, but it's my movie of the year. Like I just don't see anything topping it. (laughs) Yeah. But, um, I guess before we start wrapping this up, uh, talk a little bit about like what you got coming up, what you got planned, where people can find you.
1: Um, Okay, where people can find me is on Instagram at true Collectibles. I realized the other day <coughs> the, audio, the audio ad that I have that you guys play all the time, which I appreciate, um, has the wrong Instagram on it. That was like four accounts ago. My site is my site. My site's permanent. cultcollectibles.org is always going to be there. Admin at cultcollectibles.org, if you're trying to get in touch, is always going to be there. But my Instagram is constantly... Um, um, getting taken down for, flagged for various things, and which I totally is fine. It's, you know, I'm not trying to, um, <clears throat> the only reason I have that is to kind of post new items and communicate with people who just aren't doing emails, you know, any clients. Yeah. Um, the, yeah, so it's true cult collectibles. Um, and I actually, I, I actually got someone to record a new ad or sent a script to somebody to do a new ad today because I was on a different podcast recently. And I was like, Oh, they wanted to play an ad thing. And I was like, Oh, I should just have this on the ready with the correct info. So, um, yeah, so it's true. Call collectibles on Instagram. If anyone's wondering why they can't find it. Um, when it comes to things coming up soon, uh, I mean, I've got, I always got like five or 10 different projects in a, uh, lined up or like in progress you know that are slowly happening or collections um i'm buying new stuff inventory every single week i think i have like i just bought out a huge collection and i have like something like four to five hundred pieces of inventory on the way here that are going to be going up over the next few months because it's going to take a while to get through but yeah there's gonna be new inventory on the site soon that's like the biggest thing right now i've got two or three more books that are basically finished um that I'm working on kind of polishing Uh, the Bundy one just came out the Bundy autopsy reports. Uh, So these new ones are, you know, those will come out eventually too. Uh, I'm trying to get a bunch of things lined up so I can have some kind of consistent releases for that. Yeah. And that's about it for now. I mean, it's the beginning of 2024 right now and we're recording. I'm kind of just getting a list of like, you know, the goals I want to have for the year, things I want to do, um, things I want to work on for the site. So, yeah, I I've got like a couple little secret projects, but they will come to light soon.
0: Hell yeah! And as uh as things come out, we'll have you back on to talk about it. Talk about movies in general. It's always a pleasure talking to you. So, uh, yeah, thank you for coming on.
1: Yeah, for sure. For a little, <clears throat> sorry to drag us out, but for a little um background, uh, I think from. Basically, the first time I was on, we were talking about doing some kind of episode with true crime or cult-related movies, like some of the more disturbing or dark or like heavy ones or better ones in those genres. Um, and literally, in you know, this two or three years, haven't been able to figure out time for it where all three of us can watch a bunch of movies and w- w- make notes and schedule everything because I've been you know traveling internationally and doing so much stuff for work. Um, so maybe eventually within the next five years we'll do that.
0: Hell yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> we'll get it in. <laughs> but again, yeah, we'll eventually get to it. <laughs> but yeah. Thank you again, sir. And everybody go check out coal collectibles. It's awesome. Thank you. Yes.